0: If you're grateful for Jesus, would you give him a hand clap of praise this season? You know, I was thinking I was out, out to dinner last night um, uh, with my brother who lives here and uh, his wife and their three daughters and my 21-year-old son. Wave at the people, Quentin. I got my 21-year-old son. And uh, it came time to get the bill last night. And of course, he didn't pick it up. Uh, didn't even make a gesture. Um, And and our server said, well, happy holidays to you. And I just said, "Um, I don't mean to be mean. I don't know how y'all roll in Vegas, but Merry Christmas. Because Jesus, Jesus is truly the reason, is he not, for this season. If you have your Bibles, I want you to meet me in Luke chapter 2. As you're making your way to Luke chapter 2, let me just say how, bless you. Uh, how uh, how much I love Hope Church and just the people here. If, uh, uh, if you're here for the first time, I'm telling you, where else in Vegas are you going to see a choir and a hip-hop artist all at the same time? It is unbelievable, unbelievable, but something is happening here and uh, I am just so grateful to God for leadership like Pastor Scott and, uh, and his team. I'm looking at David Killebrew and the stewardship team, uh, just a bunch of godly people who are trying to keep the main thing the main thing, which is Jesus Christ, the center uh, of, of attention. Uh, again, glad to have my 21-year-old here, uh, my oldest. Uh, I practiced on him, and I'm repenting big time. And so for us to just kind of hang out and get some time together has been a real gift. Luke chapter two, pick me up in verse eight. They wanted me to jump in the series with you. Admittedly, I have nothing new to say to you. I I don't think our problem is uh, a lack of new information. I think it's just being reminded of the old information and being faithful to it. And so nothing new to say, but some very profound things to say because our text is centered around the profound, personal one, Jesus Christ. Luke writes, verse 8, chapter 2, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, make note of that phrase, shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Originally Luke is writing in Greek and the Greek word for great is mega. They were filled with mega fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Do you know that's the most repeated commandment in the Bible? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of mega joy will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David. Here's the key word that we're going to hang our whole message on, a Savior. Say that word with me, Savior, who is Christ the Lord. God, thank you. I love what you're doing here, Jesus. I, I, I love everything about this church. It's not a perfect church. That doesn't exist, but God, this is a church just trying to follow Jesus, a group of Jesus followers. Thank you, Lord God, for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, that when we were headed down a road that said dead end, with no hope, Jesus Christ took on flesh, dwelt among us, lived the life we could never live, which was a perfect life, and yet died the death that we all should have died, And yet, praise God, he is not still in his grave. But as a song says, we serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. Thank you that he lives. And Lord God, I do pray that you would give me grace to just magnify your name, that that this would be a worshipful experience, and that you, Lord God, would prick our hearts. Someone's here today, Lord God, and they don't know you as, as Savior. I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Others of us, Lord God, we, we have trusted in you, and yet the journey of sanctification is a messy one. So there's many Christians in this place right now. We are embroiled and enmeshed in our sins, Lord God. And we need to experience in a very real way you saving us, Lord God. You stepping into the messiness of our lives and us turning it over to you God, I just pray that Christ as Savior, Christ as King would be clearly magnified in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. A little boy wanted a bike. He was dead set on getting this bike, and he had a friend of his who um, who encouraged him. Well, if you really want a bike, yeah, you should ask your parents. But uh, above all, I, would, I just want to encourage you: ask Jesus, and Jesus will get you this bike. But his friend told him, uh, "You got to be clear and careful how you pray. There's an appropriate way to pray." So this little boy is like, "Well, how do I know the right way to pray?" And he goes, "Well, I just turn on, you know, TV, catch some of these TV preachers, and they'll show you they'll show you how how to pray." And so that's exactly what this little boy did. He turned on the TV and um, went to this kind of Christian station on TV. And I, I guess the first preacher he heard was for you um, sophisticated theologians was more from the reformed persuasion. And so he kind of liked how this guy prayed. It was a little boy that, that night got down on his knees to pray for his bike. And he said, Jesus, I, I just thank you before the foundations of the world. You predestined me. You, you chose me. You foreordained me. So I pray now in your name that if if it be your will, you would give me a bike. I mean, it just sounds like the perfect pristine prayer and so he's waiting on the bike a couple days later, no bike. So the little boy says, "Well, maybe God doesn't hear reformed people, and so let me just try a different way." Turned on the TV, listened to some different preachers. These were more of the prosperity stream, you know—name it and claim it, confess it and possess it, nab it and grab it. And so, you know, he gets down on his knees in great faith and great conviction, says, "Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I, I declare a bike right now in your name. I I, I call it into existence right." Now, I even declare a blue bike in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And uh, uh, he gets up off of his knees and uh, great faith, and a couple days later, no bike. Now he's really frustrated, and he remembers his mother's a Catholic, and so. He picked up uh, a a little statuette of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he's frustrated and he grabs this statuette of Jesus and he gets down on his knees and he says, okay, Jesus, I've, I've tried it the reformed way, the prosperity way, that ain't working, so let's just cut to the chase. Jesus, he holds the statuette up. Jesus, if you ever wanna see your mother again, you will get me this bike. Needless to say, this little boy had some very misinformed views of Jesus and how prayer works. But let's not be too hard on this boy. I think the truth of the matter is we all have some very deep misconceptions of Jesus. Some in our world view Jesus as kind of a fictional character. Just kind of made up. Not real. I was in Washington, D.C. a couple of months ago, back in December, and um, I'm talking to some individuals, and they said to me, the Bible is nothing more than a piece of fiction, like kind of uh, the Harry Potter series, and they liken Jesus to Harry Potter. Truly, this, this person is a work of fiction, not, not real. It's a misconception. Uh, others Others in our world, and I see this a lot, they, they have what I call a Twitter Jesus. If you've ever been on Twitter, man, you, you probably follow people because you like the way they phrase things. You like the way they say things, and so you look at their tweet, 280 characters, and you're like, that's insightful, that's brilliant, but here's the problem with Twitter. I've never met someone who um, rearranged their life, revolutionized their life because of someone's 280-character tweet. I mean, we go, hmm, that's good, that's, that's profound, that's insightful, not life-changing, and unfortunately, that's how many people are with Jesus, Huh, that's interesting he would say that, or hmm, that's very kind of interesting that he would do that, but, but change my life around him? No, I kind of take his words and his life as kind of some things that make you go, hmm, and I can kind of take it or leave it, but change my life around it? Other individuals, and now we're entering more and more into the Church of Jesus Christ, they have an administrative assistant paradigm of Jesus where Jesus is kind of my administrative assistant he's not the CEO of my life he he's my executive assistant he exists to help me pull off well a better me so when I need something from you you'll hear from me because you exist Jesus to facilitate my dreams And so many people in our world have kind of a Santa Claus view of Jesus. Come on now, we remember that song growing up, don't we? He's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's gonna find out who's naughty or nice. And that's not just for little kids, that's kind of how all of us view Jesus. So we kind of have this perspective, do nice things over here, and I'll get nice outcomes over here, But we get really frustrated with Jesus when we've been nice over here, but life has been naughty over here. Because we think that we can morally manipulate Jesus by our good choices. All of these are fallacies about who Jesus is. I wanna spend the next few moments together, shoot, I got 23 minutes, 43, 42, 41 seconds for the Holy Spirit to move in this place. I I always forget about the clock when I come to Hope, okay? Um, I wanna spend the next few moments together just addressing the greatest question you can ever ask in life. It's the question of Jesus. All of eternity hangs in the balance on how you answer that question. You mess Jesus up. You mess life up. Ma'am, is that a Chicago Bears hat? God bless you. God bless you you mess Jesus up, you mess all of life up. You mess all of life up. Here, 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 here. I want to prove this to you. I, I want you to sing something with me. It's the first song you probably ever learned, okay? And I need you to sing it out loud with conviction. You, you got me? You, you with me? Don't leave me hanging by myself because um, you, you don't like the way I sing, all right? So I just try to prove to you this point that you miss Jesus up, you miss all of life up. Let's sing the alphabet song together. You ready? One, don't, don't leave me out here by myself. One, two, three. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, 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 I J K L M N O P Q R S Z. My, give yourself a hand. Now let's try it one more time. This time, leave out the letter A. Here we go. One, two, three, go. Ah, uh, most of y'all messed that up. Most of y'all messed that up. You leave out A, that first letter, the whole song, it's clunky, isn't it? You know what the Bible describes Jesus as? He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. You leave Jesus out, the whole song of life is messed up. So I want to talk to you about this alpha. Who is he? The Text tells us he's a savior. We're going to learn three things about this savior, Jesus. Number one, we're going to learn he's a unique savior. Two, we're going to learn he's a universal savior. And three, we're going to learn he's an uncomfortable savior. Our text opens up with... Us being introduced to a group of characters. I want you to just simply underline that word shepherds. We'll come back to it in a little bit. Notice with me, if you will, in verse 8 again. It says, in the same region, that would be the region of Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord, here it is, appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. This is unbelievable. Here the shepherds are out doing what shepherds do. They're tending their sheep. It's an ordinary night. They're just kind of going about their business. It's it's just one of those typical evenings in that region. And the text says all of a sudden the the flow of the the text, the wording of the text, just simply sets it up as if this is out of the blue. Uh, The angel of the Lord appeared to them. The idea of the word angel simply means a messenger God sends a messenger, and not only does the angel of the Lord show up as if that wasn't enough, it says that this angel was enveloped in the glory of the Lord. So it's not just a supernatural occurrence of an angel, but there is some added dimensions of glory, of weight to it. He he is enveloped in the glory of the Lord. Why all this pomp and circumstance? Why all of this extra that God is putting on it? Because God is announcing the greatest news we could ever get, and that is Jesus Christ is coming. So you need to understand... Uh, What's happening in our text is sort of like God is giving a press conference. But we understand what a press conference is don't we when a five-star athlete unveils what school they're going to commit to or or when a coach kind of gets hired by a new school as their new head coach they don't just slip in the back door walk out onto the practice field no 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 a press release is put out media is brought in and a press conference is given why all of that fanfare because we have some really important news to make if you read your bible whenever God moves in profound and unique ways in human history, he always first calls a press conference. So I could take you to Exodus, God shows up to Moses in a bush that is burning but is not being consumed, and he says, Moses, I'm going to move in a unique way here, it's time to lead my people Israel out of bondage to Egypt and into freedom, press conference, Later on, when he wanted to get Jonah's attention and redirect him back to where he should go, he sends a storm and then a whale who swallows him. This is a press conference. Whenever God moves in unique ways, he always shows up and makes a press conference. And that's not just true in the Bible. It's true in all of our lives. I, I have seen God in my own life. It doesn't happen often. But when God really wants to get my attention, he calls a press conference. I, I, I could go on and on and on. Um, I was with David down in Atlanta not too long ago with a group of church planters, and I'm talking to one church planter, and you know he's talking about this church that he's planted, and then he just keeps saying, yeah, but when I was in jail, and when I was in jail, I'm like, this is weird church planter with a record? I said, bro, tell me your story. Long story short, he says, man, I dropped out of school when I was 12. Um, when I was 15, I didn't really have, have anything, in any way to make an income, and so I, I started to rob drug dealers. I'm like, are you serious? That's like Uber dangerous. He says, No, not really. Like, it's kind of a safe kind of hustle. I'm like, What are you talking about? He's like, Who are they going to (laughs) tell? So he goes, Long story short, I was robbing this one drug dealer, me and my buddies, and the gun goes off and murder. And he said, But in the sovereignty of God, I don't know God, but in the sovereignty of God, the jail that they put me in is too overcrowded. So they put me in solitary confinement. I'm like, why is that the sovereignty of God? He goes, because I was in that cell for 23 hours with nothing to do, and a security guard named Harold puts a New Testament Bible in my cell. He says, I have nothing else to do. So I dropped out of school at 12, and I just start reading this book. And when I get to Hebrews, and there's a line that says, the day when you hear his voice, harden not your heart. He said, Jesus came into that cell, and my life was redirected. He said, what's crazy about that is I started asking around for Harold just to tell him thank you, and no one had ever heard of him. That ain't coincidence. That's a press conference. And God shows up. And now he's pastoring people on the west side of Chicago, telling me about a ministry he does to foster unity between people in the hood and police officers. That ain't nothing but Savior Jesus. Jesus. So now we come to this text, and at the center of this text is Jesus, and this text is all about what theologians call the incarnation of Jesus. When we use that word incarnation, all that means is in the flesh. Incarnation simply means that God the Son took on flesh and dwelt among us. Why would Jesus step out of eternity past and future, take on flesh, and dwell among us? Why? Because we need saving from our sins. You and I had racked up a debt with God we could never repay. We we, we had racked up all of this debt with him, and no amount of church attendance, no amount of quiet times, no amount of being a good girl or a good boy could ever pay. We were absolutely hopeless and God in his sovereign justice could not just forget about our sins. Those sins had to be paid for and Jesus says, I'll pay for them. So he takes on flesh. I'll, I'll never forget, one of my favorite stories, I was just hanging with my, with my brother last night. One of my favorite stories is my, uh, when my brother started middle school, um, th- his first day of middle school, he was getting bullied. He comes home, uh, he's looking down, and my dad says, well, what's wrong? I said, dad, th- dad, this kid keeps bullying me, and dad, you don't want me to fight. What, what do you want me to do? And dad says, well, just tell the teacher, teacher, take care of it. So the next day, kid's bullying my brother. He tells the teacher, and teacher doesn't do anything. He comes home, tells my dad, look, man, I'm doing everything you're telling me to do, but day in and day out, this kid keeps bullying me me. I'm not fighting. I'm telling the teacher and that says, okay, I'll take care of it. The next morning, my father puts on a coat and tie, wakes my brother up, and says, we're going to school together. They go to school together. My dad introduces himself to the principal, not as Crawford Laritz, but as Dr. Laritz. Now, let me just give you a little background. When dad leads with doctor, that ain't a good thing. It's, it's a little bit of a flex. So he, he, he says, my name is Dr. Loritz. I need to speak to you, and I need to speak to my son's teacher. The teacher gets called in, and my dad says, look, we value education in our home, and we trust that you're going to provide a safe environment. We understand bullies. We give get bullies but but I told my son to tell you and he says you didn't do anything about it is that right and she kind of hymns and haws and dad says okay since you're not going to handle it now remember my dad's a pastor since you're not going to handle it, he tells my brother forgive what my dad says I want you to take your fist the next time he does it start with his nose and drive it to the back of his head how is that for pastoral advice Dad said we didn't have, my brother said we didn't have any more problems. (laughs) What is the incarnation? God looked down and saw all of us getting bullied by sin and Satan. Jesus Christ put on the coat and tie of humanity, stepped into the principal's office of this world to handle sin and Satan once and for all so that you and I, because of Savior Jesus, can live a free life Free of sin, free of chains. Oh, what a savior. And yet... In the early days of the church, they wrestled with this idea of who Jesus is. And, and finally, the Council of Chalcedon, they came up with this statement. Will you look at it with me? It simply says, Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man, in one person without mixture. Will you say that with me? Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man, in one person without mixture. Don't try to figure that out. He's not 70% God, 30% man. He's not 80% man, 20% God, not 70, 30, not 80, 20. If I was with a chocolate church, I'd talk about Harold Melvin in the blue notes, but I know that ain't gonna land with most of this crowd. He's fully God, fully man, one person without, I, I love this. He's, he's fully man. Uh, look at Hebrews 4 with me about the humanity of Christ. The writer of Hebrews says, For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every, every, Greek word for every is interesting. It means every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In his humanity, Jesus says, oh yeah, I can relate to you. Tempted in every respect which means nothing you go through, shocks him. Jesus can sit with you in empathy. In his humanity, he can say, yeah, I know what it means to be tempted by the opposite sex. I know what it means to be tempted to lie. I know what it means to be tempted to gossip. Oh, what a savior, he is he's fully human and as fully human, he gets tired. We find him sleeping on a boat in the middle of a storm. We find him on the cross saying, I thirst. We, 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 we see him expressing human emotions like John 1135. It, it simply says, Jesus wept. He's fully human and, and he can identify with me. That means when I come to him saying, I need a savior who can step into my sin. He doesn't stand there in condemnation. He stands there in compassion and empathy because he can say, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt and the hat. Oh, what a savior. But not only is he fully human, he's fully God. I love this. That means he's human enough to relate to my struggles, but God enough to overcome them. What a savior. But not only is he a unique savior, he He is a universal savior. We got to hustle here. The text says he shows up to shepherds. Really? You call a press conference and the only folk you invite to the press conference are shepherds? Why not invite Roman senators? Why not invite Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor? Are you kidding me? Shepherds? You gotta understand in the culture of the day, shepherds were seen as some of the lowest of the low. They were were viewed by by the Jewish religious elite as being uncouth and unclean. They were constantly dealing with dead animals. They were dirty individuals. They were ceremonially impure. They were were at the bottom of the rung. And what does the angel say? I've got great news for you. I, I want you, the lowest of the low, to hear it first. Great news that this Savior, hear it now, will be the Savior for all people. That that, that the fact that he comes to the lowest of the low means that he's not just a savior for people who dot all their I's and cross all their T's. He's not just a savior for people who are social and moral insiders. He's not just a savior for those in whom the world says has it together. He's a universal savior. And that news comes not to the richest of the rich first. It comes to the lowest of the low. Oh, I love that savior. Uh, can I let you in on a secret? Um, I, uh, so this isn't the secret, but I got COVID a couple weeks ago, and, um, which means I binge-watched Netflix, um, which means I watched The Crown. Please keep that between us. Please keep that between us. Watch The Crown. Um, and this last, last season, centers around Princess Diana. And boy, how the world loved her. What was it about Princess Diana we loved? I I think a big part of the answer to that is towards the end of her life, she goes to Angola. She's at a hospital in Angola. And here she is surrounded by the infirm, the diseased, the poor, the seemingly lowest of the low. And they've got diseases that would make even doctors squeamish. And what is she doing? She's holding them. She's kissing them on the cheek. I, I think... I think what was astounding about her was was the juxtaposition of monarchy and misery. That the Princess of Wales would get down with the dirtiest of the dirty. That's my Jesus. I know where I'm at, I'm in Vegas. We probably got some of everything in the room right now. Some of y'all are self-righteous people. You're religious Pharisees. This idea of a savior isn't moving you because you don't think you need saving. Others of you, you've got gambling addictions, drug addictions, alcoholic addictions. Others of you, you, you may be strippers. You, you may be prostitutes. You may be pimps. You, that he would show up to shepherds first means he's not put off by your sin. He's standing here. And he's saying, I know everything you've ever done, are doing, and will ever do to break my heart, and I still want you. Finally, fasten your seatbelts. He's an uncomfortable Savior. Jesus is born during the reign of Caesar Augustus. Some years ago, archaeologists actually found an inscription in which it said this about Caesar Augustus. Will you look at it with me? Uh, whereas the providence which has regulated our whole existence has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving to us Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants, look at how they describe Caesar Augustus as Savior, has put an end to war and has set all things in order. This is the Caesar, who is reigning when Jesus comes. He's called a savior, which means this. If there's an invading army back then, citizens of Rome said, no problem, Caesar Augustus will save us. If there's an economic downturn, no problem, Caesar Augustus, our savior, will figure that out. If there's a natural catastrophe like an earthquake, famine, flood, no problem, our savior, Caesar Augustus, will fix it. And let's not be too hard on them because Caesar Augustus still lives today. We all have what's called functional saviors. All of us right now in this room, we have functional saviors we turn to when life gets a little tight, a little tense. Our natural inclination is never to first go to Jesus. It is to go to our little cute army of Caesar Augustuses. Feeling stressed out, Jack Daniels will do it. Feeling insignificant, let me pull out this Tinder app and have a hookup. Feeling insecure about who I am. Let me just get into another relationship or find another career or make more money. These are all Caesar Augustuses. Now let me tell you the problem with Caesar Augustus. He's dead. He's dead. Which means Caesar Augustus at best is temporary. Functional saviors might give you a temporary fix. You know why the Romans killed Jesus? Because here's what they understood. You know why Herod killed all the babies around the time of Jesus? Because here's what he understood. You can't have two saviors occupying the same territory. Someone's got to go. And when Jesus moves in, he doesn't move in to be your co-pilot. He comes to take over. What Jesus demands is uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Because that means Caesar Augustus must die. I love Welch's grape juice. Anybody here ever drunk Welch's grape juice? Do you know the story of Welch's grape juice? Old man Welch, back in the 1800s, was a Methodist minister. And back then, the only alternative for communion was alcoholic. This was a problem. Old man Welch would watch people like his own son and other people who were alcoholics. They would go off. Uh, They'd go to their version of rehab. They didn't call it that back then. They'd dry up. They'd try really hard to get sober, only to come back to the house of the Lord and relapse. Old man Welch says, we got to try something new. The old way ain't working. So in 1869, he was the first to pasteurize Concord grapes. And he did it not to set up an empire. He did it to set up a whole new way of doing communion in the church of Jesus Christ. Because for him, the old way wasn't working we need a completely new way what do we do with Christ the Savior our old way of trying to fix ourselves I think we understand just doesn't work trying to save myself and trying to fix it and and trying to solve this thing and trying to get out of this situation and we all know the frustration that that really doesn't work. Being a good boy and a good girl just doesn't cut it. Jesus says, I'll come as the new way. You can't save yourself. You can't save your kids. You can't save your marriage. You can't save your porn problem by yourself. You can't save your lying problem by yourself. And I love the very idea of a savior. The very notion of the term savior implies mess. You don't save people who have it all together. You only save people, if I can get ethnic with you for a moment, who are toe up from the flow up. (laughs) Who have the humility to say, I'm a hot mess. And I need help. I want to pray. I got two calls today, all focused around that person, Savior. Some of you are here today and you are here on assignment. When Adam and Eve were running around in the garden looking for a fig leaf to hide under, God ordained this day, December 11th, 2022, and has allowed the events of your life to be orchestrated so that you might hear the good news of Christ the Savior and that you would submit and surrender your life to him. In just a few moments, I want to make that call, that first call, and I believe you're going to come. I'm, I'm thinking right now, December 10th, 1997, there was a woman who had just moved to L.A. From, from New York City and she was really lonely. And she had cried out to God. God, I, I've hardly ever talked to you in my life, but I'm lonely, I need you to do so. Her first day in L.A., true story, she goes to a party. Long story short, this other girl invites her to her church the next day And this girl goes to church the next day, first time in church. And she hears a call just like this, December 10th, 1997. And the spirit of God broke her. She came to the altar. She became a follower of Jesus. We've been married now 23 years. That's my wife. And I believe that's someone here today. For the first time, you need to in humility say, I need you as Savior. But my second call for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, no, we never lose our salvation, but the journey of being a Christ follower is, it's filled with mess. And some of you as Christians right now, You are embroiled in habits and patterns and sin. And we Christians, man, we we know how to put up a good front, don't we? We act like we're so together. When the truth is you need this savior, Jesus, to step into your life in a very powerful way. You're a follower of Jesus already just need to say, God, save me from this addiction, save me from this sin. I want to experience your saving power in this area. Or maybe you want to come on behalf of someone else and just say, I'm going to stand in the gap and yet things are okay with me, but there's this person. As our leaders and prayer team come, I want to pray and then, then you're going to come. Father, in the name of Jesus, oh, what a savior. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Lord, don't let anyone leave here who does not know you as Savior and Lord of their lives. God, I... I hold your son Jesus to his words. I'm not quoting a TV or radio preacher. There's plenty good TV and radio preachers. I'm quoting a resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus, this is what you say. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Those are your words. So I hold you to your words right now. I've done my best to lift you up. Now you draw, you draw right now in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. If that's you, would you come? Maybe to say yes to Jesus for the first time, or maybe you've already said yes to him, but there's an area in your life you want this Savior Jesus to just step in and deliver you. Would you come?